0: Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Welcome for those who joined us online and in person. Let me give you a moment to practice some silence and solitude in the roof of life, so we can quiet our hearts in the stillness of God's presence, hear our own thoughts, access those places that we've forgotten and God's presence could come. So let's exhale just the automatic ruminating thoughts that's stuck. That's pulling you down. The Bible tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I pray that freedom would come now. Let's inhale the presence of God in His problem. Not problem. (laughs) <laughs> His promise, that'll be bad, don't breathe that in. <laughs> so let's turn to Sarah Young for help. January 15. My faith is shining upon you, beaming out peace that transcends understanding. You are surrounded by a sea of problems, but you are, that you face face to face. As long as you focus on me, you are safe. If you gaze too long, On the myriad of problems around you, you will sink under the weight of your burdens. When you start to sink, simply call out, help me, Jesus, and I will lift you up. All God's people pray. Let's welcome my brother, Stu, as he gives us the word today.
1: Trying to avoid the straw for the new year. (laughs) Um... It is good to see everybody. Like I said uh, last week, it's good to see everybody in the new year. I'm still honestly having a little bit of trouble believing that 2022 is gone and we're already in 2023, much less halfway through January of 2023. And next thing you know, it's gonna be summer. But before we get to summer, as I mentioned about uh, you know, trying to drop the straw for the new year, let's talk about something that we do in the new year and we do in January. New Year's resolutions, how many of you guys made a New Year's resolution this year? I see one or two people that are brave, a couple of people that are brave. How many of you guys have just given up on your New Year's resolution already? I'm with you. It's it's a funny thing how I was looking at a couple of studies over the weekend and about half of the country makes New Year's resolutions. We go into the new year, we think, all right, we're gonna, this is gonna be a new year, this is gonna be a new me, this is gonna be dropping all these bad habits, picking up all of these new ones. But a lot of times, unless something intrinsic happens, unless something substantial happens to us, most of these New Year's resolutions, they go by the wayside. Some of those studies that I was looking at, they said that as many as 55% of people who make a New Year's resolution will not make it the full year with that resolution. Something along the lines of only 11% of people that they surveyed make it more than six months with that resolution. Uh, Another survey showed that um, people who make a resolution to pick something up tend to do better than people who make a resolution to let something go, like a bad habit or something like that people do better saying, I'm going to start biking this year rather than I'm going to eat less Oreos this year. But even in the best case scenarios, only about 52% of people actually follow through with those resolutions. In fact, upcoming uh, two days from now, January 17th, do you know what that day is unofficially called? It's called Drop Your New Year's Resolution Day. And this past Friday was unofficially called Quitter's Day because that's about when most people start quitting their New Year's resolutions. And again, without something substantial to like really tie us to a New Year's resolution, we end up getting frustrated with it. We don't like the progress that we're seeing. We don't think it's progressing fast enough. We start to lose kind of that drive for it. And a lot of times, even with our New Year's resolutions, we start... we miss the fact that there are a lot of things that sometimes work against us in those New Year's resolutions, things that are just so common in our daily lives that we don't realize tie us down. For example, if you're thinking, I want to be more grateful this year for the things that I have, but we don't realize that we're always on social media looking at who has a much better life and who is showing their best life that we don't have, we'll end up getting tied down by that. We'll end up losing that gratefulness. Or like me, if you're trying to resolve to get a little bit more sleep in the new year, but you can't put the phone down at 10 o'clock at night, well, it's not going to work out so well. I go on about this to, to say that in a strange sort of way, in our relationship with Christ, in our life in Christ, we have something very similar. Now, when we looked at the scripture today, Paul says in Second Corinthians that we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And that sounds so much better, so much infinitely better than, hey, it's New Year's, make a resolution that you have a 50-50 chance of, of actually following through with. Because when we are a new creation in Christ, there is that intrinsic change in us. There is that actual presence of Christ in us, leading us and changing us. But even still, sometimes, we get impatient. Sometimes we start to falter. We get a little bit impatient with how fast am I changing? Maybe for some of the people here that are new believers, you start to say, I've accepted Christ. I should be a new creation in Christ. Why am I still struggling with the same things that I struggled with before Christ? For those of us who have been in relationship with Christ for a little while, we may chuckle and say, oh, you thought this was gonna be an easy journey. No, this is a long haul. But even for us that have been in that long haul, sometimes we wonder, why do i still have these same issues over and over again why can't i get past this where is that full change sometimes we don't see being a new creation in christ quite fully and what i want to talk today uh talk about today is how we can address this how we can rest and rely in the fact that we actually are a new creation in christ that there is something that has changed within us and how As we grow in Christ, there is a process. There is both the instantaneous change as a new creation in Christ and a process as we are aligned to Christ. And we're going to go to this passage in 2 Corinthians. We're going to see the church at Corinth, and we're going to talk about how Paul was encouraging them not only to be a new creation in Christ, but to be aligned and go through that process in being more Christ-like. So if we can turn down to that scripture and what i want to do first i actually want to give a little bit of context about the church in corinth and i think that it's important for us to know not just what the scripture says but also know a little something about the world in which scripture speaks because there are oftentimes a lot more similarities to the biblical world as there is to our world that we may not pick up on unless we know some of that context In Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that there is nothing new under the sun. And while we may not look at our neighbor and be envious of their flock of sheep, or maybe you do, maybe you're ill about that farm life. That's okay. I'm not going to judge. We're more likely to look at our neighbor and say, wow, they got that new promotion. They've got that new job. I'm a little bit envious of that. It may take a slightly different form, but that root cause of envy is still there. So again, we look at the context, we look at the world that the scripture inhabits, and we can see some of the similarities between the biblical world and our own. So, as we look in Corinth, when uh, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, this is a church that he visited many times, that he wrote to many times. In fact, there are probably more letters that Paul had written to the church in Corinth than we have in the Bible, just the two books. And even some scholars believe that the book of 2 Corinthians is a collection of his letters, just somewhat loosely edited together. So this was a church that Paul was very intimately familiar with. And Corinth was a very metropolitan city. It was a very lively city. It was a business hub. It was where people could come as freed slaves and make a name for themselves. And one of the ways that they made a name for themselves was they loved to debate. They loved to talk about things. They loved to investigate new things. And when they talked about these things and debated things, they didn't just do it very calmly and sit there dryly reading a script about their opinions. They got into it. They spoke with booming voices about their opinions on this and that subject. And I feel so silly doing that right now. But that's what they love. They love people who really got into it, sometimes so much that they preferred people who got into it more than the substance of what they were talking about. It's like, imagine, I know some of us have been around when some of the guys here have been talking about that age old debate of LeBron versus Jordan. Now imagine that cranked up to 11 every day on every street corner, and your reputation was actually tied to how well you could argue about something and win people over to your side. That was the kind of city that Corinth was. And even more than that, Corinth was also a place where people, where rich citizens became patrons of other people. They were people who would sponsor tradesmen, philosophers, um, artisans, musicians, even public works projects, so that they would be known for their greatness in how they presented things and how they sponsored things. Not very different from how you have people sponsoring, um, what do you call it, social media influencers or how you have people buy chairs at universities or get buildings named after them. So when you look at some of the context, you see there's a little bit of similarity between our world and the world of Corinth. Now, when we look at Paul and how he interacted with the church at Corinth, it was very, very different. He didn't give in to the methods that they preferred. He didn't speak with a booming voice. He didn't make himself look grand to say, look at how great my life is. This is why you should go to the gospel of Jesus. He spoke very plainly. He spoke very simply. He spoke directly, but it was never about a focus upon himself. In fact, he never even talked about his greatness, really. He would talk about his struggles, which was completely backwards from the way the church at Corinth liked to hear things. And also, he didn't let people sponsor him. He didn't let people support him within the church at Corinth. Whenever he needed something, he either worked for it himself or he let churches outside of Corinth support him so that nobody could say, I sponsor Paul. Look at how great I am in what he's doing. So there was a difference in how he presented the gospel from how everyone else in the city presented anything. Now, it was all about, for him, not boasting in himself, but putting the onus and the greatness upon Christ. And this is what we can see in starting in verse 14 when we look at this. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And as he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. See, the whole power of the gospel for Paul was in Christ. It originated in Christ. It started with Christ. Our relationship with Christ is cemented by his sacrifice on the cross. It doesn't start with us, but it starts with him. And again, totally different message than what the people of Corinth were used to hearing. Where they were used to hearing about our own greatness. Paul put the greatness upon Christ and no one else but christ christ already made and when paul talks about we are a new creation in christ he is talking about that change that christ started in us when we turn to him when we accept him when we live our life for him it's an ontological change a very change in our identity not based on us but based on christ based on his work on his sacrifice on the cross And this is why being a new creation in Christ, as corny as this is gonna sound, it's why it's so much different than a New Year's resolution because it doesn't start with us. It has nothing to do with our strength, but it has all to do with Christ on the cross. And this is why we can rest, knowing that when Paul says we are a new creation in Christ, we can rest in knowing that's true because it's not starting from us, but it's starting from the one who is much greater than us doesn't start with us it starts with Christ and that's my first point if we can put that up today there's an instantaneous change which comes from Christ that's what it means to be a new creation in Christ it all starts with Christ it doesn't start with us it starts with him and it is a solid ontological like our identity becomes in Christ he becomes a living presence within us And again, I keep saying it's not something that starts from us. It starts from Him. It's the confidence that we have knowing that the change in us, even if we don't see it fully in this moment, comes and starts from Christ, comes from the one who is so much greater than us, who sacrificed on the cross, so we could be reconciled to Him. That's the promise of the gospel. That's that reconciliation we see with God. And my question for you guys today is, are you resting in that change? Are you resting in the faith that Christ is the one who has initiated the change in us? When we turn to him, when we accept him as a Lord and Savior, do we rest in knowing that his presence is alive in us? Or are we still trying to fight to start that change ourselves? Are we still saying, I am the one that has to muscle through this. I am the one that has to initiate because Christ is a living presence in us. That's what it means to be a new creation in Christ. He is a living presence within us that we can turn to. And I pray that as we go into this year, as we go into our lives, we would see where he is a living available presence to us, in us, and where he is changing us. And that is an important thing because Christ does change us. We may not see the change fully and instantly, for all of us, again, like that have been on the journey with Christ for a little while, we know that there is not the full, instant change once we accept Christ. We still live in the world. We still struggle with things in the world. But it begins with Christ. And as I said a couple of months ago, there's kind of that already but not yet process. Christ is already a living, breathing presence in us that has started to change. But we are, do not yet see the fullness of it. And that's where actually we do have a part in this process because it's very similar to, again, I'm going back to the new year's resolutions thing. When you start a new year's resolution, a lot of people say, I'm going to go to the gym. And if we just say, all right, I'm a new creation in Christ. I have this presence in me and that's it. It's the same as getting a gym membership, showing up, just scanning your card at the front desk. So maybe you get that discount on your health insurance and then walking out. There's no real change, right? there's got to be something more to it. So that's what we're going to go into next as Paul addressed this to the church at Corinth as he spoke to them about this. So again, Paul didn't live his life the way that the people in Corinth expected life. He lived it very, very differently where he didn't put the onus on himself. He didn't put the glory on himself, but he put the glory on Christ and who Christ called him to be. And this we can see as we read in verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, It is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Again, Paul was modeling the kind of life that he wanted the church in Corinth to live, even if it meant people saying, you are out of your mind, you are crazy. And I think we all know some people that sometimes we look at them and we say, you do things very, very differently. Are you even from this planet? But when we look at them, if we see that their life reflects something, that it reflects something greater than them, then we have to say, all right, maybe there is something to this. And that's what Paul was doing. By not putting the focus on himself, which was very strange for everyone else, he reflected Christ. He reflected that power in Christ. And he was encouraging the church at Corinth to do the same thing. And again, we look at uh, verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. This was the challenge that Paul was putting to the church at Corinth. To live not for yourselves, not for your own glory, but for the one who saved you, for the one that reconciled you to himself. And to show that to other people, that there is a better way to live life. Now, this wasn't something that the church in Corinth got in one shot. Of course, it's always a struggle to unlearn the ways of the world. And again like i said paul made many trips to corinth he wrote many letters to uh to the church at corinth and as he continued on his missionary's journey there were other people who tried to preach some kind of form of the gospel and not exactly the same gospel that paul was preaching and they certainly didn't do it in the way he did it they came in and they gave in to the ways of Corinth. they made themselves puffed up they made themselves flowy with their speech and they pointed to themselves as greater than paul And greater than others, and that's why you should listen to this gospel. And it got to the point, actually, where some people in the Church of Corinth actually started to poke fun at Paul, actually started to question him and say, this Paul fellow, he writes really fiery letters, he writes amazing letters, but when he actually shows up, he's very meek, he's very timid, and they actually tried to put him on blast. And again, 2 Corinthians is a great letter to read through. It it goes through a lot of different things. And Paul actually kind of puts the church at Corinth on blast. If you read 2 Corinthians uh, 10 through 13, he actually takes them to task. Like, this is what you actually think about me. Let me talk a little foolishly and show you why I am the way that I am and why I do the things that I do. But at the end of that, he encourages them to a reconciliation. He encourages them to live not as the way the world does, but in the way that Christ is calling them to. And there is a reconciliation. There is a reunion between the church in Corinth and Paul where it does get smoothed over. Eventually they changed. And even though they were a new creation in Christ, it still took time for them to unlearn the ways of the world. It still took them time To learn how to live aligned to Christ and to change as Christ was calling them to be changed. That's called discipleship. That's something that we all go through. It's that grind, it's that grunt, it's that work every day, day in, day out. As we are aligned to Christ, he starts the process in us, he guides us in that process, but we put in the work consciously to be aligned to who Christ is calling us to be. And sometimes it is, again, very different from the way the world does things. So that's the second thing we can see, how we can grow as a new creation in Christ, if we can put the point up. Oh, there it is. Even as a new creation, there is still a process of being aligned to Christ. We've got to remember that even as a new creation in Christ, there's still that process. There's still the day-to-day struggle and work to consciously be aligned to who Christ is. He starts the process in us. He is a living presence in us. There is that ontological change in our identity as a person who is being conformed to Christ's image, who is being returned to the the version of us that Christ envisioned us to be before the struggles and the calamities and the traumas of the world got their claws on us. He is calling us to something greater. He is guiding us to that. But every day we do have to put that work in. We do have to make those conscious decisions to walk away from the things that the world calls us to and walk towards the things that God calls us to. And the good news of the gospel is that it is a story of reconciliation where man has fallen away from God, but God made it possible for us to once again be reunited in reconciliation with him. So even in those moments where we say, you know what? I'm supposed to be a new creation in Christ. I'm supposed to be this, that, the other thing, but I keep screwing it up. I keep buggering it up and I'm always afraid that I'm going to fall backwards. You know what? That's okay. It's okay to live in that tension of saying, I know that this is who Christ called me to be, but I'm still in the process of that. The church of Corinth didn't get it right overnight. Even the apostles didn't get it right overnight. It is a process, it is a lifelong process as we are united in Christ, as we are more aligned to who Christ called us to be. And in those struggles, in those stumbles, there is still reconciliation. And again, I'm gonna say it again, 2 Corinthians, it's a great letter. There is a section where Paul says, there is a person who fell away but I want you to be reconciled to him. I want him to be reconciled to the church because that is God's heart for reconciliation, to be united to us once again. That is why he died on the cross, so that we could be with him. And as we live as a new creation in Christ, we can push towards being aligned to Christ, to being who Christ called us to be. It is a day-to-day struggle. It's not easy. Some days it's a little easier than others but it is what Christ is calling us to, and that is how we live fully as a new creation in Christ. So my question for you guys today is, where are the things where Christ is calling you to be more aligned to him? Where is he asking you to walk away from the way the world does things and see how he wants us to live in a way that will reflect him, that will reflect his glory? Even if the world says, why are you tithing at church? That's crazy, you could be going on a vacation to Bali. And you say, because this is who Christ is calling me to be. Someone who makes the church a place where people can be. That's why I tithe. Someone who says, I am not going to be cutthroat in business because that's not who Christ called me to be. Someone who says, I will make my workplace welcoming and use that as a means to expose others to the gospel. That's what Christ is calling us to do. That's how we live As a new creation in christ and again it starts not from us but it starts from christ and that's how we can know that it is a real substantive change so would you guys stand with me today heavenly father i just thank you lord that you have done the heavy lifting for us. It was by your sacrifice on the cross that we could be a new creation in Christ. It is by your sacrifice on the cross that we could be in relationship to you again, that it doesn't come from us. In fact, we boast in our weakness so that you can be strong. I pray, God, that this would be an attitude that we take forward this year, that it is not about us, that it is not about our strengths, but it is about you. It is about your presence in our lives and in our being and how you are calling us to reflect your glory in every sphere of influence that we have, every place where we go, even when it is difficult, even when we struggle, even when we fumble and fail, Lord. You call us back to you. You have already reconciled us to you. And I pray... That, that is the life we would live in this year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Amen. So in one hand, the two tensions that we hold in the Christian life or those who are seeking is this annoying thing called impatience. How many people hear in, impatient? Raise your hand if you're impatient. And you're going through a crisis. Why can I get this? For students, it's about getting a 4.0 every semester, and you never do it. For those of you who do it, we don't like you. But it's it's about those little things, and we're annoyed and frustrated because the change doesn't happen the way we think it will happen or when it will happen. I just want to give you a cosmological perspective, because you're mostly all nerds. So make all sense here. It took 13.8 billion years for you to even be here. In the first 10 billion, when the universe was an ultra hot, dense state, life could not be created because it was too hot. It cooled down. Right now, all the atoms in your body, tell someone your body and the atoms in it, <laughs> You're like, that's very nerdy. Was once baked in the nuclear furnace of a supernova that created the Milky Way? It took 13, eight billion years, t- first 10, just for the possible possibility of life. And God did it in 13.8 years. And you go, well, why did God do it that way? I don't know. I'm not God. So when you in your life and, and me in my life, well, God, why don't you just change me? It's a incorrect, heretical view of time. Tell someone next to you, my time. That's the problem. Tell them, that's your problem. Because you think you made the universe. You're the universe. I'm the universe. You're not. Next time you go, God, you don't know what you're doing. Just go, yeah, God, you have the universe, I don't. So the whole evolutionary process of change for creatures that are not outside of town, like the Trinity, if you're rooted in time and you exhibit time, then there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. You're in that story right now. For the seeker, you might not even know God's creation, and that's what you're grappling with. Does life have meaning? Does life have purpose? Is this just here by accident? You're exhibiting time and trying to make meaning. But if there's no meaning, then why are you trying to make sense of your life? That's what you're grappling with. Now, if you're a believer grappling with the change promised in Christ, You're grappling with, well, how come I'm not changed yet? Well, because this is the main thing that I want to go with as we pray. If you try to change yourself, that's, you're taking control. You being the God of your own journey. But when you're being conformed, tell someone next to you, being conformed. Being conformed is different from conforming. You seeing a vision, okay, I want to be that. I want to act like that. I want to think like that. Then God is not part of the journey. Being conformed to surrendering and allowing God to use the crisis, the situations, the experiences in your life to bring about the change in his time, not my time. So, as our brother preached beautifully, by the way, Today's struggle is about surrendering my time for God's time. The Kronos time that humans deal with for Kairos time. So let's do that right now. Will you surrender your timetable? Because you're not God. So you lift your hands with me right now. I'm going to pray together in active participation. And just picture the most frustrating thing in your life right now that you have no control over. That's just ticking you off. You're livid about it. And now you have to say, God, I want to surrender my vision, my ideas, my fantasies, my goals. And I want Cairo's time. I want this masterpiece, like the James Webb telescope is showing us the beauty of creation, the beauty, the vast complexity, the opulence of the universe. The Bible says you are his masterpiece, you are his canvas, but he's not finished yet. It might look messy. It might look broken. It might feel delayed. But the great artist is putting the final touches in your life. The question is, do we trust him? Do we trust the time that he's put into motion to create that masterpiece in us that he is destined, the author and the perfecter of our story. Surrender right now. Your time for his time. Say, God, I forgot. You're changing me. You're leading my life, not me. Let me not run ahead of you, but with you. For the seeker... All the dots might not make sense yet. Because only dots make sense in reverse. If you're living in a story that you didn't write, as G.K. Chesterton said, there must be a storyteller, I pray that God will help you make sense of that story today. Let's make this our prayer right now. You stray. From one so fair, one so you fair, run away. You run away, and one more, time, one more time,
1: you have to pay. You have to pay the heaviness, the heaviness of needless shame. Needless
0: shame. Oh,
1: heart of, heart of mine, come
0: back home.
1: Out on your own. Out on your own. And he's been there. And he's been there all along.
0: All along. Watching for you. Watching. Sound the, road. Road. Sound the road. So come so
1: home running.
0: So come home running.
1: His arms are.
0: So Father, this afternoon we submit our leadership to the artistry and the beauty and the majesty of the great artist that created the universe. One without time that lives outside of time. And the purpose of creation is that change that you created in us through the process of this evolutionary change that we're all undergoing. But the promise of the gospel is that he has created a masterpiece. The universe and all of us. You're special. And that might sound corny, but scientifically it's true. Because your atoms were baked in the nuclear furnace of a supernova. You are actually made of stardust. And God's celestial artistry and his hand is upon your life. Wherever you might be in that journey, far, close, or somewhere in between, the only thing that we can do is surrender to the artistry, the beauty and say, God, not my time, but yours. I take my life out of my hands into yours. I trust the artistry, the great artist, that you'll take the dots that don't seem to make sense, the dark periods, the delays, the brokenness, including the beauty, and create something that I couldn't create. Some, write something that I could not write. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. That's what it means to be a new creation in Christ. Will you bow your heads for the benediction today? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God And the fellowship of the Trinity and the Spirit of God be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. Go in peace.